This will be interesting, not having ever discussed this before. Yeah. <laughs> I always enjoy that. Hey, have you heard of that new thing, Clubhouse? No. Okay. What is it? It's an app that's, I think it's hilarious, actually. Um, so there's a podcast that I listened to that was talking about it, and they're going to do things on it. And it's like how Gmail used to be, where you have to have an invite to join it. So you yeah. can only get on with an invite, and it's all audio, and it's basically like an audio chat room. <laughs> so it's a massive, unmoderated Zoom call. Yes. Yes. With no video. <laughs> yeah. It's basically like a phone call. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> Have you seen this thing, Gather? Gather.town? <gasps> no. I know what you're talking about, but I haven't actually seen it yet. I heard somebody say these words. I can't decide if it's genius or not, but like you make a little avatar and you drive it around virtual land and you can walk up to groups of people that are having a conversation and suddenly like you're in that Zoom call. You see them, they see you. Oh my God. And then you can like walk away from that group and walk up to another group. And I've heard of some people using it for like mixers that would have happened at conferences and things. (gasps) I just got goosebumps. Like, that's exactly where this belongs. Oh, God. Are we ever going to leave our houses again? No. No. Like, never, right? Like, this is how it is now. This is amazing. No. I think it's probably brilliant. It's like... I think it's cool. Zelda and... Yeah. It's like Zelda and Zoom. Yeah. It's like Zmelda. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, John, how are you? Uh, 90% of all scientists that have ever been alive are alive today. That's a lot of information. But don't panic. It's not an exact science. Yeah. Hey, Shannon, how are you? Um, yeah, doing great. Going back to the cold open, I like it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it was all technology related. I thought you'd really like that. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Since we're not, you know, going to talk about technology today at all in any way. Not at all, because last time we talked about doing field geophysics in a box, and we didn't want the geologists to feel left out. We've <laughs> We've talked a lot about virtual field camp, but that's not what this is. It's... How do you do geology in a box? So this summer, what do you need to put in your box to go out and learn geology? Yeah. So not for a fourth-year senior geology student, but for, you know, people that listen to this podcast or a student that just graduated high school and is going to go be a geology major or something like that or, you know, anyone in your life that likes rocks. You could get this kit and go be a geologist. Right. I mean, maybe we should actually make the kit. I don't know. I guess we got to no, see what I, we I think to put the, in it. The idea is fine. We'll just stop there. Fun paper Friday. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. So we haven't really talked about this um, before, which may become painfully evident. I don't know. <laughs> well, I already know one point of contention, so. Correct. Yes. <laughs> I'm waiting on that one. Um. And I think a lot of people are really interested in geology. And there's a ton of stuff that you can find online. But I think as we learned in all these virtual field trips, while Google Earth is amazing, amazing, and it's making 
places on the planet accessible to everyone. There's still, I mean, I became a geologist because I used to like to dig in my backyard, right? So yeah, there's still that going outside and discovering for yourself some stuff about geology. Right. Mm-hmm. And you don't really need a whole lot to go walk around and look at rocks, but with a few tools, it can make it a lot more interesting. You can learn a lot more. Correct. And I would say it doesn't even depend on, it doesn't even depend on where you live. Like we can try to make this work for anywhere. Obviously, if you live in a place that actually has rocks, it's a little bit easier, but (laughs) rocks, not necessary. We can find some other things to do. Right. Uh, yeah. Um, okay, so should we just go back and forth and, and say what we think should be in the kit? Uh, yeah. So do you want to start or do you want me to? Oh, no, I'm starting. I want to take the easy one. <laughs> uh, okay, so what should be in the kit? So you need a hard-backed notebook. <laughs> okay, yeah. Yeah. Um, I have a lot of these really cool... Oh, man, I can't think of the... Oh, the brand name. They do all these really cool science things, and they make a lot of notebooks. And some of them are hard-backed, and that'd be great. But you can get – we've talked in great depth about what field notebooks are the best. But – and you'll enjoy this because it's more engineering. There's a brand called Sokia, S-O-K-K-I-A, and they make engineering field notebooks. And they're like five bucks. They're fantastic. (laughs) All right. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm going to check those out uh, uh, because I have not heard of them and I'm not a huge fan of Ride in the Rain. Yeah, and a lot of us aren't because the the pages are coded in something weird. And it's okay. I mean, they're fine. Um, but these Sokia Field books, and like I said, they're like surveyor's books or something like that. And I just, just bringing it up here, they're between $2 and $6. And several of my old field notebooks are these. Um, and you want a hard surface because if you're doing any measurements or anything like that, it's just nice to have a hard surface. Even if you just open up your notebook and use it as a table for your rocks, which I've done all the time, (laughs) um, hardback notebooks are the way to go. Yes. Uh, and I don't know about you. I, I prefer for lots of paper either dot or grid so this is what i love and you will understand why i love this because of pmag um so the left hand side is like notebook paper okay and so it's lined and but there are vertical red light red lines that break it up so they kind of look like really big boxes not big boxes, like a piece of notebook paper that also has vertical divisions on it. And then the right-hand side is gridded, massively gridded. It's great. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, love it. Sokia Engineer's Field Book. Pretty great. I'll probably actually go back to them after my last Right in the Rain has been used up. And like I said, some of them are like $2.95 or something. Yeah, I think I'm going to buy a couple now, actually, just for having on hand, because I like that kind of notebook when I... Yep. And I love taking notes on my iPad. Uh, I'm loving it more and more because I can take a picture and draw on it and all that. Mm-hmm. And that's probably what I would use first choice, honestly. Okay. 
we're not putting it so, in, those, in that kit. That kit's rough. That's expensive. <laughs> yeah, but it, but it is expensive, and if you're out somewhere very hot, uh, it doesn't always fare the best, or your battery goes dead. Oh, and yeah. there is something nice about just sitting there and kind of sketching. And I will tell you, John, that this is the notebook that our logo is based on. Oh, all right, because yeah. you, uh, yeah, mm-hmm, because you I handed the inspiration for the logo. Correct. <laughs> so I handed my notebook <laughs> to our artist, and that is what she drew. So that's if you look at our um, our logo that you see on your podcast app or on our beautiful new webpage. Right away on that left hand side is sort of the rectangular boxes, and on the right hand side is the gridded paper. So there you go. All right. So hardback notebook. That's a good one. Okay. Now you. Okay. So <laughs> uh, can the gear be optional or is this all like required basics? No, no, no. I think there should be some optional stuff too. Okay. You, I'm going to go with an optional one before we get too far. Okay. Um, everybody has different preferences, but some kind of something to hold all of this. Ah. So your hands can be free. I'm, mm-hmm. I've switched back to a backpack in my daily commute now. Wow, really? From like a shoulder bag, yeah. Oh, this is a and whole nother. This is a whole nother show. <laughs> it is, and and I like that. Except I don't like backpacks, uh, at least the traditional kind that stay flat to your back in the field. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like either the ones that have some supports to hold it off so you don't sweat horribly. Right. Uh, right. But what I loved when I was doing a lot of field work is I bought a SWAT team tactical leg thing. <laughs> I love this thing. <laughs> and I think you can probably buy it from like Galls or some law enforcement supply now. I bought mine from Think Geek years ago, but they haven't carried it in a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, so it has a little belt, which is great because you can put your rock hammer, which is another piece that I'm sure we'll talk about, on your belt. Mm-hmm. And it's always there. And then it goes down around your thigh and then straps right above the knee. And it has a pocket in it that's the perfect size for one of these field books. It holds a few pencils. It's got a pocket that's the perfect size for your cell phone. Uh, you've got a couple other miscellaneous things. I like having, you know, like flashlights and that sort of stuff if you're going to be out at night. Uh, it's a great place to put a lot of this junk and keep your hands free because you never know when you're scrambling somewhere and are going to need those hands very fast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and if you're carrying a bunch of junk around... It doesn't work so well. The only caution I have with it is multiple times people have thought that uh, I had a weapon in the field. Yeah. And that's caused some almost confrontations. Yeah. And some of these, like, they wind up being, like, camouflage color or something. And it's kind of, yeah, they do look imposing like that. Mm-hmm. I could give you that. And there's, this is a very preferential piece of gear. <laughs> right uh, like some, some people like fanny packs some people like mm-hmm. the fanny pack that you wear on the back and backpacks shoulder everything anything i think that so the problem with backpacks is that you don't have your stuff accessible to you and so it's like if you're wearing a backpack in the field i always tell the students they need something else too 
Um, And many times we've talked about the little field pouch that goes on a belt. And you can get those at Army Surplus stores. Those are really good. The ones that are big enough for your notebook. You always want it to be big enough for your notebook. (laughs) There's the plateau designs, little field pouch. Um, And then I recently bought a fanny pack. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And um, yeah, I love it. I love it. I had a student last year when we actually did go into the field who's my incoming grad student and I'm real excited about this. He bought a pink fuzzy fanny pack shaped like a cat <laughs> that he <laughs> kept all this field stuff in. So really anything like that is perfect. Yep. Mm-hmm. So thigh all right. thigh tactical stuff optional. <laughs> So, what else are you going to put in it? Next, you've got to have a hand lens. On your neck. Yes. Mm -hmm. On a strap, on your neck. Yes. So, this goes along. Man, this gets gets bigger. There's a lot of things to do with this, which the um, second edition of the Encyclopedia of Geology just came out, and the field mapping entry is written by someone we know, me, and... (laughs) Yay. Yeah. And actually, I cover this and have a cool picture of the rock in my front yard scattered with all my field gear. And hand lenses now, there are cheap ones. We actually just bought a bunch of these. The OU Alumni Advisory Council bought hand lenses for our, gra- for our um, senior students. And I thought this was the coolest thing. We got them engraved with like OU Alumni Advisory Council and gave the students these hand lenses. And they're the ones that have the um, UV light and an LED light on them. So cool. They're so cool. These used to be so expensive. Like when we were in, you know, school together, they were really expensive. They were like 50 bucks. And now they're like 14 bucks. There's, (laughs) I love this too. And I have to plug this company. The company we got them from is called Wesley's As You Wish, (laughs) (laughs) which if you search like hand lens with light on Amazon, it's who comes up. And I think it's so funny. Um, But these things are kind of heavy. So I will say that wearing a loop around your neck was no big deal when it was tiny. But the ones that have the battery packs and stuff are kind of heavy. But all you do is you wear a button down shirt that's got a pocket or t-shirt that's got a pocket a chest pocket and you just it just lives in there it lives around your neck and you just tuck it into that pocket it should be illegal to make t-shirts without chest pockets (laughs) just saying (laughs) you know they were cool when we were younger then they went out and then they came back for a very short amount of time and i was so pro that like every every year i have to go hunt for them every summer oh every student organization for like two years in a row. I'm like, I'm buying all of these t-shirts. Like <laughs> I need this. Yeah, I agree because this is the perfect thing for it. So you want that thing, not even in your bag. You want to always have access to your hand lens. And you could spend a ton of money on really nice ones, but unless yeah. you're doing uh, professional mineralogy. Yes. Don't, don't do bother. It. They're going to get scratched. Exactly. They're going to get messed up. Mine. I finally had to just give up and throw away my first, one with the light because it just got too scratched up and so now i'm carrying around one of these wesley's as you wish ones and it's fabulous the light is amazing because usually when you're on the field you're wearing a hat 
because we don't want skin cancer. Okay, so you need a hat, ball cap, or preferably big floppy hat that covers your ears. And so in order to get like the best light to look at a rock, like the Hanlon doesn't work like a magnifying glass. Like you have to put it up to your eyeball. And if you got the hat on, it's shaded and you can't see anything. So now instead of having to take your hat off every single time you want to look at a rock, you just click on that LED and it is amazing. It's amazing. Yes. And the so. UV is fun to have too because some minerals fluoresce in UV. And so it's nice to have that right there. Yeah, I don't. I can't think of a situation where I ever would have like that would have made a huge difference in the field, but it's cool. Um, I think it would make a bigger difference for people doing igneous or metamorphic stuff than it would for any of us doing said stuff. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. So, so definitely worth it. Hmm. Okay. So. Yeah. Now it's hard, huh? <laughs> I've I've still got some things on my list. Um. Okay, I'm going to put off the one I know is going to be contentious for one more round here. No. Uh, rock, <laughs> yes, rock hammer. <laughs> okay, well, this might be contentious too, man. Okay, yeah, so go to Lowe's and buy a bricklayer or mason's S-twing hammer. Okay, but there's two different types of hammers you could buy. <laughs> and the one that I said is the one that has the <laughs> chisel not the pick. <laughs> yeah. So. And th this is somewhat region dependent. I'll give you that. It is region and rock specific. Because I do have both. <laughs> yes. I have three. Um, <laughs> yeah. Okay. So it's region and rock specific. There are. So the masonry hammer that John's talking about has a chisel on the end. Great. That's the one that I take in the field the most often. But then there's one that has a pick on the end. Okay, very sharp. And then one is just a little baby sledgehammer, right? So if you don't have any rocks in your area and we're going to be doing soil or unconsolidated sediment investigations, you absolutely want the chisel hammer. Any other hammer would be dumb. Or if you're doing, like, sandstones. Yeah, yes, yes, yeah. Most sedimentary yeah. stuff... You want the chisel hammer. Um, the pick hammer would be good if you have more consolidated rocks. So if you have igneous rocks or metamorphic rocks, maybe you want that if you're trying to get a sample. You never hammer with the non-hammer end, <laughs> whether it's the chisel or the pick. You never hammer with that side, but it's good for prying. Okay, And then... We would sometimes take the the little sledge out to disaggregate igneous rocks. I, I do actually, now you say that, I do have a five-pound sledge and a big chisel with a hand guard. The hand guard is very good. Yep, you can get a three-pound yeah. sledge too, which is much easier to carry around on your belt. I'm a geophysicist. I'm used to heavy sledges. Oh, God. <laughs> Uh, <clears throat> yep. Does that weigh as much of a as a car battery? Okay. <laughs> so you, you need a rock hammer and preferably uh, a belt loop or a holster. There's somewhere they like uh, slide down in a little claw thing, like Don't a carpenter would wear. I know. Yeah. They, Don't get that. <laughs> you will lose it. Uh, you want the one that's leather that snaps over the top. 
I don't even do that. I hook mine in my belt, which will actually be my next. Um, my, that, that'll be my next thing. Okay, well, let's go on and talk about your belt. Right. So not everybody has, like, the webbing-type belts, but that's what you want. Like, this reminds me of when I was little in the 80s, and everything, every clothing article you bought came with that, <laughs> that like, canvas belt that had, like, the two D-rings on it, right? <laughs> Somewhere <laughs> in shut-down malls, Abercrombie and Fitch stores, there are pallets of these things did you say that on purpose did you know that mine that i wear is an abercrombie and fitch belt <laughs> i did not <laughs> <laughs> it's stolen from my husband who was not my husband at the time and he had this orange abercrombie and fitch belt <laughs> and i was like it's safety orange i'm taking this and so that's my <laughs> that's my field belt and i have to be very careful to make sure that abercrombie and fitch labels on the inside <laughs> put it right <laughs> So, yes, you're correct. That's the kind of belt you want. Um, and it, it doesn't really matter for doing you know, home geology, but if you're going to field camp as a geophysicist or you're going to field camp and are going to do geophysics, get a belt that doesn't have metal in it. Yes. Mm -hmm. And so the little D-ring on that Abercrombie belt is small enough I can push it to the side, like through my belt loops, so it's not like near my front if I'm taking compass measurements. Right. Mm -hmm. And um, I just stick my hammer in that. So I cinch my belt tight enough that I literally just stick my hammer in it. I can't stand the leather holster things with the snaps. It's too, I use my hammer too much. Like it's annoying to me to get it in and out of there. But you should definitely have that. That's the one to go. Don't get that carpenter one. That's bad news. I don't know how many times i've seen or had to take people to the hardware store to get a hammer after yes you know like day two and that hammer goes sliding down a cliff um we have a collection at camp now um that just lives in the office and it's the hammers we've picked up from the years before that people <laughs> have left and so then when one of our students comes in and was like oh, i lost my hammer we're like oh here take a take one from the stack <laughs> there you yeah. go mm-hmm mm-hmm so I don't know if you want to count belt, but I'm yeah, very, no, I'm very specific on, yeah, I'm very specific on belt type. So, and it's got to be wide enough to, if you're not doing the, well, no, the thigh thing has a belt. If you're doing one of the other pouches, I talked about the plateau design or something like that, that goes through those belt loops. So you want it to be a wide enough belt to structurally support this stuff. Yeah, I mean, and to structurally support your pants. I mean, you got to remember, <laughs> you're not, you're crawling around, you're doing, you're doing non-normal activities. Yes. A dress belt is not going to do the job. Yes, it is not at all. Neither are dress pants, but that's probably beyond the scope of the box. Right. So, okay, so you've got your belt. Uh, this, I'm not going to say, hmm. Okay, this could go in the box or it could be something you already have. You need some way to measure strike and dip. Ooh, that was a tactful. Um, a tactful thing you could buy say. a Brunton if you got a chunk of change laying around, but it's not going to be in the box. That's not going to be in the box, no. Um, uh, what are Bruntons going for now? I, they're like three. I mean, well, the ones that I get are like three ninety nine, man. I think I paid, yeah, probably in the neighborhood of five. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
from mine. Yeah, and they're really fancy ones. But, but, there are, like, if you want, like, the the Transit, the new Brunton that takes the strike and dip for you, essentially, which is amazing. You know, it's upwards of 700 bucks, so... And we've interviewed its creators. If you yes, want. we go have. Back and listen to that show. Very spectacular uh, instrument, but like I said, probably a little bit expensive for the box. Which a Brunton is a little bit expensive for the box, but there are alternatives to this. Um, yeah, there are lots of alternatives to this. You don't. Let me see. You can get a knockoff Brunton on any one of your favorite large scale internet sites that sells junk. (laughs) And I'm going to say they're not bad. You should search Pocket Transit because that's, yeah, Brunton is the name brand of this. It's a compass, right? And so search like Pocket Transit. So there's one on Wish.com. It's $16. These are not bad. There is something wrong with them. Oh, well, no, these aren't. Oh, man. So we used to buy these. And I made the executive decision to buy a whole lot of Bruntons for a lot of money. And I'm going to tell you that I was wrong. So I'm sorry, Tom Stanley, if you're listening to this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) I was wrong because, man, the cheap knockoff ones, they break about as much as the Bruntons break. But they cost 20 bucks, and they're pretty accurate. <laughs> yeah. So my student, I mean, he's not my student, my co-instructor at camp. He carries one around, and his was $2 online. <laughs> and the only thing <laughs> is <laughs> the inclinometer, so the thing that you measure the dip with, goes from 90 to 90, right? Because you can have a vertical dip. His only goes to 70 degrees. (laughs) Beyond 70, it's basically vertical. Basically vertical. And especially for the pocket, you know, the the geologist in the box. Um, But but this one I just saw on Wish that's $16. It actually does go 90 to 90. So it's like, it's got an inclinometer. It looks exactly like a Brunton. It even has a glow-in-the-dark... A uh, circle around the azimuth to read. <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah, it's pretty neat. <laughs> so if you want to learn how to use a Brunton, which I think is a valuable skill, and it gives you some more intuition about strike and dip. It does. Uh, definitely do that. Yeah. Or if you want to go a little bit more on a budget, and you want to get data that's just as good as pretty good, uh, just download an app on your phone. <sighs> So this is where we're going to fight, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) I guess it is. (laughs) Um, If you can't, so strike, just as a reminder, which we've done several shows about this, strike is the intersection of a horizontal plane with an inclined rock. And it gives you an azimuthal direction. That's essentially two planes intersecting as a line, right? And so you're measuring that line. That concept is not easy when you're confronted with a rock face because it's not ever perfect looking. It's actually kind of hard to determine which way rocks are dipping sometimes. There's a, you know, the easiest way to do it is to pour some water on the rock face 
and watch where it flows, and that's the dip direction. And then 90 degrees from that is the strike. So that's where a horizontal plane would intersect that dipping surface of that rock. If you have your phone, all you do is slap it up against that rock surface, and it gives you a strike and dip. It doesn't intuitively get you to understand what strike is. No. It gives you a number, and that's great. So you have the data, but until you have to look at the way a compass moves and try to level it along strike, it's just not the same. I will agree, but I will say once you understand that concept... Just use the phone uh, <laughs> because you're going to be able to take, you know, 10 strike and dips on the same rock face and average them and get something way better than you were going to with your field notebook and your pocket transit. I feel like this sounds like a challenge that I can't wait to accept. <laughs> yeah, I think we need to, uh, to go down to the ranch and do a yeah, strike and dip off. We're going to have some a nice strike. folds there exactly what i was gonna say we're gonna have a strike and dip off yes yep. we are you can you can get your brunt off <laughs> uh, your knockoff brunt and i'll i'll bring my my iphone down <laughs> brunt off. i'm making them now <laughs> <laughs> oh man um man I, I like my heart is racing like my hackles are up about this <laughs> because i think that once you intuitively know what strike and dip is you can take it super fast with a brunton like once you know it it doesn't it's super quick like bang 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 we'll time taking 20 strike yeah and dips. we will <laughs> yes we will okay um so if you don't intuitively get it it's worth it to spend the five dollars to have this cheap plastic thing that gives you pretty good numbers just to mess around with on your own. Yeah, fair. Yes. Okay. okay. <laughs> um, that was yours, right? Yes, so that was mine. So some way to measure strike and dip. Mm -hmm. All right, what's yours? Um, so mine is a grain size card. And these come in... Lots and lots of flavors. Um, a lot of them. So they used to come in these awesome, these awesome ones. And these are specific. They're called Gilson grain size charts or Gilson sand gauges. And these are, so I, I have one of these from my field days too. And it's these... <laughs> It's just two pieces of cardboard that are literally duct taped together. <laughs> and in them, they have, and they're pretty expensive. It's 20 bucks, even though it's just this little like three by four inch thing. And it has one size shows like roundness of sediments. And then it has a couple of rulers on it. And then the other size shows the range of sediments from shale to very coarse sand and so it's got a little bit of the fee scale associated with that and the sizes associated with it. But they have these hollowed out little pieces and it has samples 
of those specific things glued in. Nice. I, yeah. I don't own one of these. I actually don't own a grain size card, but I also do very, very little section description. Uh, yeah, well, that's true. You should still have one. I'll give you one. Um. Uh, yeah, I should, though. That's, uh, uh-huh. This is making me think I need to add that to my kit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I. So these are really neat if you've never done it before. I don't, it's probably not worth the price. Um, this would actually be something really cool to make yourself. Um, and you can use a different type of grain size card to do that. And so grain size cards today, you can get these from super cheap and you can get them up to like 25 bucks. But a lot of them now are clear. And so they're, you know, a hard plastic and they also have, a ruler of some type on them and then they also have the scale from fine to very coarse but a lot of them what's cool about them being clear is they'll have clear boxes on them and you can compare you you can literally put it in between your eyeball and the rock and see which one best matches the grain size yeah, that would be super handy, for, right. especially for somebody like me that doesn't do it every day. <laughs> right, exactly. So it's like the Gilson grain size chart is cool. You can sit there and look at it and compare. Um, I actually really like these ones that have the sizes on it that you can put straight up to the rock and then see where you go from there. And you can get these anywhere. Like Forestry Supply has them, and that's where we go for a lot of our stuff because they're a really great resource and if you buy more than 10 they're only 250 each yeah forestry supply is a great thing to know about in general uh yeah if you do anything outside if you have to do anything outside and you need some piece of gear forestry suppliers has it yes yeah so you just go to forestrysuppliers.com um but so the forestry suppliers one is pretty neat so it's got these little windows in it and then it also has a little sorting chart at the bottom with windows so you can tell something's very poorly sorted all the way up through very well sorted nice yeah yeah i really like it so that's um that's a must-have okay and i do want to point out that we're not going to cover in here all of the, and I think we've talked about it in some other shows, like, you know, you need a hat, you need appropriate pants, you need, right. you know, and so on. And we're not talking about the safety. You're like, of course, you should always have a first aid kit. You should always have navigation. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, and exactly. that, but we're not, we're just talking about the geology tools. Yes. Yes. That is 100% true. Um, mm-hmm. Okay. So you've got your hammer so you can break the rock open and get a fresh surface and your handling so you can inspect that surface both of which are really important to do on a fresh surface um you need an acid bottle yeah it's probably hard to get acid if you're just a regular person though <laughs> mm, i don't necessarily no i, I think you, could... you know what it's not because all you yeah. need to do is you need to go buy this pool stuff um <laughs> from uh, Lowe's or Home Depot and dilute it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Right. And Mm -hmm. I'm sure there's somewhere on the internet that tells you the best way to do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm not going to go into it, but there is a type of pool stuff that is used. It's muriatic acid. Yeah. And you can just buy that straight in a can at Lowe's. 
and that's about as far as I'm going to go because I see a lawyer circling right correct. now. Correct. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> yep, that is correct. Yes. But you so. take this little bottle, um, you dilute it down, and when you drop it on a rock, if it bubbles, it's carbonate, and if it doesn't bubble, it's not carbonate. Mm-hmm. And so I will say, like, this should never be useful strength. You should 100% find somebody else to do this for you. We're not telling you how to do this. Um, and any, if you have the wrong strength of acid, you can make all kinds of things bubble. So you need to find a geologist <laughs> before you try to do this yourself. <laughs> because too strong an acid makes everything bubble. And then the whole point of having an acid bottle is pointless because, yeah. And I have had the same acid bottle, which is, it's like a, I don't know what the eye drops are. You know, the, Visine. oh wow, that guy, um, the old commercials. Yeah, clear clear eyes. That's oh, the old commercial oh, I'm thinking oh, of. Okay, gotcha. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it's just like a little clear eyes size bottle. I filled it once. <laughs> and I still have some in it. Okay, so that's like a geophysicist thing. I've probably gone through 10 gallons of this stuff. <laughs> oh, okay. See, like I would do like drop, drop, and nothing. And then, you know, okay. That, that's lasted me for years. I'm a prolific acid dropper <laughs> yeah there there are some people that just take the ball and just like you know squirt it like ketchup all over the rock i don't do that i just do a couple drops which is exactly what you should do <laughs> um and also you know if it's something that uh has some carbon it but it's really tight rock i've used the the back end of my rock hammer to grind up a little bit into a powder right or the other thing which is the next piece of equipment that you need is just a knife yeah a, a decent pocket knife mm-hmm. because you can use it for what John just suggested. And also if you just want to investigate the hardness of a rock, like the hardness scale in geology is basically rubbing different stuff up against a rock. Right. And one of those is steel. And so if your rock scratches it, it's not quartz. Yeah. It's something else. It's some kind of feldspar. Or something like that. So the the just a pocket knife must have use it all the time. And don't get the ones that take uh, utility knife blades. Correct. Be- because they snap and they lodge somewhere. Yes. Hopefully not in your face. Yes, correct. No, those don't do that. No, just a regular old pocket knife. I have the same Swiss Army knife that I've used forever in the field. I get one with two blades. One blade is for cutting things. The other blade couldn't cut butter, but it's the blade I use on rock. <laughs> yes. Um, I have a shred knife that I found on the side of the road in Yellowstone, and the outside is like fake deer antler, and the inside has an engraving of the Statue of Liberty and Washington crossing this. the Potomac. <laughs> <laughs> and I have an inordinate love and attachment for this <laughs> knife like i accidentally left it in my bag to carry on one time when i was going to the field on a plane and i shipped this thing back to my house for like 40 bucks or whatever ridiculous shipping rate it was from the airport line yep yeah (laughs) i mean it's washington crossing the potomac but it's only like two millimeters by one millimeter tall it's amazing (laughs) yeah um, I have one more. I don't know if you've got anything. I've got one more. Okay. We'll see if I take yours. Okay. You probably will. Um, fine point, mechanical oh. pencils, lead, and good erasers. 
No, but all of those things are, that was not what I was going to say, but you were correct. That is exactly what you need. Like 0.5 millimeter mechanical. Cheap. (laughs) Because you're going to lose it. Okay, so I'll fight back on this one a little bit. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, and I do sometimes take the cheap ones, but I'm a bit of a pencil snob, which I believe we've talked about a lot on here. Um, and you can get these fancy Staedtler pencils that are... Um, that can take different leads types. Hmm. And so I have one. It's, I mean, you have to, you can obviously find these online, but engineering stores is where mine is from, from ages and ages ago. And it's this Staedtler, and it's a 0.5, but it has, you can interchange the leads. So you could buy an HB lead or B lead or 2H lead. And I think that's, fancy and nice to have because really when it comes down to it how hard or soft you write should determine you know what you're using but you should use something as fine a point as you can handle that doesn't break so if you want to get a harder lead great because you write hard or if you want to get a softer lead you can do that in these some of these interchangeable Staler pencils. And I mean, they're not super expensive. No. And there was a time where I carried um, a very soft lead pencil, Palomino Blackwing pencil. uh, But it was a, you know, wood pencil. So I had to carry a sharpener. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I got tired of sharpening my pencil in the field all the time. So I went back to mechanical. I, I do too. And I write almost exclusively during the day with wooden pencils. Um, Yeah, but it has to be a mechanical pencil for the field. It just has to be. All right, so what's your last item? My last one is this clear protractor-ruler combo. Oh, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Man, I thought I knew you were going to take it away from me. Uh, Yeah, so there are these very specific... Trying to find, um, trying to find the brand of these things, little clear rulers that have this weird-looking protractor in them. You need to spend some time. It's a Westcott Engineers ruler. Uh, you need to spend some time with it to understand how it works. Okay, uh, these things are amazing. They're a dollar and seventy six cents on Amazon. They're great. We go through them. You can lose them a lot, but what you can do is you can punch a hole in it and you can tie it to something. You can tie it to your hand lens lanyard. You can tie it to your notebook or something like that. Um, these are amazing because if you're making detailed drawings in your book or if you're making a map, you need to know angles so you can write your strike and dips on them. And this thing is perfect. It's cheap enough, so if you lose it, you're not super upset. But it's handy enough that it's an indispensable tool. Yes, absolutely. And, okay, so I'm going to cheat here. And Uh-oh. This isn't something 
that I'm going to put on the list for what you should put in the box. But this is just a personal preference of mine. And I don't know a lot of people that have this preference, but it's my preference, which is go buy one of those clipboards like uh, mm-hmm. a, an HVAC service person might have when they come to your house. Yeah. You know, so it's got the clipboard on the top and then it opens and there's pockets inside. Mm-hmm. Like a, where they would keep all the invoices and that kind of thing. I like them because that's where I put my ruler, my protractor. The as, like That's where I put a lot of the other stuff that doesn't fit. And it's my small map board. Right. I, and hate, I, I hate them. <laughs> yeah, I know. A lot of people do. I, you know, like you've got the big kind of folding map board set up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it drives me up the wall, the, the folding <laughs> map boards like that. I can't use them. Uh, so I prefer this, but I, I think it's it's another thing where everybody's got an opinion and everybody has a different like. It is. It's true. We had um, someone send us last year, and unfortunately it was right before the pandemic, some... Um, field mapping uh, boards. I'm struggling with that word because it was a very customized thing that had like all these cool pockets and, and Velcro and all this stuff. Um, So it, it really is a personal thing. Like if you get your bag, right, maybe you don't need, you know, maybe all you need is a clipboard, you know, but if you like to have stuff right there near your paper, I know a lot of field mappers that do use those. That John well, and if you've got a small about. enough pocket GPS, it can go in there. Yeah, it can. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to get all the other stuff up. As a geophysicist, I mean, come on, you, you, you guys can, know. Geo you, geophysicists know we, you're carrying around a lot of little gadgets mm-hmm. and connectors, and yeah, you can put tons of stuff in that thing. So that's yeah, totally that's a, a preference, <laughs> but it, it's super heavy. Yeah, that is true. <laughs> so yeah, um, I think that almost covers basically my field carry which is not what we're trying to do we're just saying hey do you want a box that makes you a field geologist because all this stuff can be used for like soil investigations too in that case you might want like a plastic shovel that's what i would add to that to that kit um and we've definitely used that to gather samples for magnetic susceptibility test and it needs to be plastic not metal um so that's something we would carry around too. And then always sample bags. And Forestry Supply has so many awesome and different size sample bags. And probably a Sharpie to write on them. <gasps> probably a Sharpie. Mm-hmm. Um, I am one of those people that I write on the rock. Yeah. Because I've had too many times where, I mean, sample bags are great and you can still use them. But too many times where it gets jumbled and shipping or something. So I number the rock in at least two places as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we try to we try to do that too, as long as it's not getting in the way of anything we want to actually sample. And, uh, yeah, I'm trying to think, okay, so, so yeah, sample bags. Uh, and a lot of this is really optional stuff at this point. Oh, I yeah. almost said something, and then I thought, gee, I don't think I've ever seen anybody use this in the field. So oh, I want to no. see if you have. Oh, no. I've never carried one either. Have you ever seen anybody use a strike or a scratch plate in the field? Ha! <laughs> no, but funny enough, so I just served on somebody's committee and they gave me a rock as thank you, which is funny, but also awesome, right? And it came with a tiny 
baby portable scratch plate. <laughs> or street plate, I guess. Street is what plate, street plate. You have to I've search, yeah. never seen anything like it. It was the size of a Scrabble tile. And I mean, yeah. all it is is like a porcelain tile because different rocks have different colors of streak. Right. And so you scratch these rocks on a porcelain tile and it has a streak color. And that is one of the, that's a mineral defining, like a mineral property. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I haven't, you... but I have one. <laughs> I've never seen anybody carry one, but looking back, I'm like, gee, there are a couple of times that might've actually been pretty useful. Yes, correct. And we didn't really like, we didn't really work on igneous and metamorphic rocks. And again, I think that maybe that is where that is more useful. Um, then with and rocks. there's even i would never carry this in the field but you can go buy a set of picks that each uh-huh. of them is a different mohs hardness hardness yeah and so you scratch the rock with each pick until you find one that uh doesn't and get it, scratched and again right. for like geologists for non-geologists that actually might be a really cool thing to have yeah mm-hmm. you could do a lot of investigation with that and, you know, a lot of stuff that I would have put on this list five years ago now just sounds stupid. Like, you should carry a camera. Yeah. Well, of course, you're carrying a camera. You have your cell phone. Yes. Uh, and you if know. you have, um, you know, an Android, it does awesome annotations straight on it. So, yeah. Um, I've got to say, you recommended during the virtual field camp show mm-hmm. the app Solocator. Yes. Um, I bought the professional version of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We did a field project recently and I, it had our company name and the name of the site we were at and all this awesome information on the pictures. And that was the first question that the customer asked us <laughs> after we did was, how did you do this? <laughs> it's an amazing app. And I had to say, you know, this is really disappointing because I think, like, oh, you know, we bought this, uh, the system that attaches to a Nikon. Yeah, exactly. I was like, this is a really disappointing answer, but it's a $10 app. <laughs> Man, it's pretty cool, huh? It's yeah, something that's... I'm a big fan. It's just the azimuth on top of the picture, but it's brilliant. <laughs> well, and I've got so many rocks in my rock case that I'm staring at right now that I don't know where they came from. Mm-hmm. I have a picture of me holding them by the outcrop. And I was like, this will be enough. It's not. That was it's 10 years enough. ago. It's never enough. Nope. It's never enough. <laughs> and I don't remember. Yep. That is correct. You only remember your favorites, like your children. Uh, yep. <laughs> yeah. I think that's a pretty good box. I think that could get you fairly efficiently started out describing some rocks or soil or whatever awesomeness is in your backyard. Yeah, I think we need to Don't Panic Geocast brand some of this. and <laughs> I think we do, too. I mean, I've got five stickers left, so we can send out oh, wow. five of these. <laughs> we need to uh, do another sticker order. Yeah, 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 we sure do. And to reminder, thanks to folks like our Patreon folks, mm-hmm. we can do stuff like order stickers. Yeah, absolutely. And send them out. So if you don't have stickers and you want stickers, you're new to the show, uh, drop us an email. Uh, you can also do, you know, awesome things like occasionally we have a t-shirt or a sweatshirt campaign. We haven't done one in a while. We haven't. Um, I know I dropped the ball in the last one. And I was like, we should do this. Um, but I, I'm going to get back on the ball now because I would very much like some more long sleeve t-shirts. So, yep. And it's, you know, doing things like that are how we, 
we pay for the podcast hosting. We send mics to guests so that it doesn't sound like we're talking to folks in World War II submarines. <laughs> Unless uh, we are, in fact, doing that. Uh, right. <laughs> yeah. And we've got some, you know, some really awesome interviews coming up that will be the audio will be because of the mics that we're able to ship out to people. So this is really great. Yeah. Well, with that, I think it's time for everybody's favorite segment of the show. Fun Paper Friday. Yay. It's so funny because I was like, oh, yeah, we can talk about this. Maybe we can talk for 20 minutes. 50 <laughs> minutes later. <laughs> We're still talking about something I'm really excited about. <laughs> well, yeah. So when listener Daryl sent this in, I mean, we use a lot of fun papers from Daryl. <laughs> And this one was clearly targeted at you, but you don't read email. Uh, yeah. <laughs> clearly. <clears throat> I want you to say it because I don't know how to pronounce this tree. <laughs> oh, well, I'm just going to uh, butcher the, the name here. Okay. Um, so the article is titled Ancient Cowrie Trees capture last collapse of earth's magnetic field this is a science magazine uh sort of like an editorial article about an actual paper which has a much less interesting title to me <laughs> of a global environmental crisis forty-two thousand years ago <laughs> by cooper et al um environmental crisis seems well We'll get to why that seems. But we'll get to there. Okay, so uh, yeah, uh, these trees, the cowrie trees, these New Zealand trees, yes, <laughs> they're huge. They're like redwoods. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yeah. they found some preserved trees that are about forty-two thousand years old. They got preserved in a bog that had seventeen hundred years of rings. These were sixty-ton pieces of trunk. Ugh, they're massive, massive trees. Okay, so they've got 1,700 years of tree rings on them, and they are not from now. They're from 42,000 years ago. Right, and so, boom, geochemistry. Uh, Carbon-14, it's an isotope that gets produced when we get all these charged particles that come screaming in from space and hits carbon in living things. Mm -hmm. uh, if you've got a big, nice, strong magnetic field like we do today, you don't get a whole lot slipping through. Uh, if you've got a very weak magnetic field, you get a lot slipping through, so a lot more carbon-14. And it sort of goes backwards. Instead of doing carbon dating in the traditional sense of, okay, well, we know the half-life, um, now we're trying to say we know about when this was, what was the charged particle flux? And then from that, we're going to go one step further and say, what was the magnetic field? Right. Um, so we think that when we take, um, when Earth's magnetic field flips, which it does sometimes, that it is preceded by a decrease in the magnetic field strength and a subsequent increase once the flip has stabilized. Um, sometimes during this flip, we'll have little excursions, as we call them, <laughs> um, where 
the magnetic field will flip back and forth. And so the direction is one thing, but the strength is another. And it's actually pretty hard to get at magnetic field strength. I mean, not today, you know, we can measure that directly with magnetometers, but in the past, it's kind of hard to see. And so that's what, when they looked at these carbon isotopes, they're marking the decay of the magnetic field around a reversal. Right. Mm -hmm. And they say that the magnetic field decreased to something like six-ish percent of modern values. Right. Which, I mean, okay, yeah, I could see that. And so that would have been the point where we had the reversal, and then it flipped back 500 years after that reversal. So this wavering back and forth is not anything new. Sometimes that gets captured in the rock record. A lot of times it doesn't, though. Right. And then it's combined with another idea that's been out there for a while of these might be linked to climatic changes. Right. Um, we're always, when we're looking at climate change and we're looking at things that happen around big events and the big events that we usually document are extinctions or, you know, extinctions of some level, either a large amount of species, one particular species, something like that. And we try to look at all these things that go along with that, what's happening at that time. And some people have tied like the behavior of the magnetic field with climate because as you can, you know, see from what we're saying, you know, as a mag if magnetic field strength goes down, more solar radiation or, you know, um, can get through. And or may these charged particles, yeah. Charged particles, yeah, yeah, yeah. Not, not actual. And so that can affect some part of climate. It's still very mysterious how it could be, how it could line up. And so, you know, it's not exactly a super new idea, but it seems like it wouldn't be quite a cause for a climatic shift, which is not been found with this particular study, even though so they sort of indicate that that's what's happening. So there, there are some claims, yeah, that this is this is the cause, but it doesn't really line up with ice core records. Right. Um, and sure, like everything affects climate. Uh, I'm sure magnetic reversals and the magnetic field strength, they do modify climate. Mm -hmm. But again, it's not a... It's not a single thing. It's not, okay, well, it's magnetic field that controls climate, or it's not just CO2 that controls climate. Right. Or it's exactly. not just water vapor that controls climate. It's all of these things together control climate. Right. And past predictions and past behavior of the climate are informative, but not diagnostic because we've never had the same conditions that we have today. Right. That's exactly right. CO2 has been a thousand times higher in the past, but it's not because dinosaurs were driving cars, right? It's because of other things. <laughs> right. So I guess I should say they're not prognostic. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. There you yeah. go. Sorry. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So why this is very interesting, and it's actually really cool to have this sort of high fidelity record around a reversal. 
it's yeah hard to pinpoint that stuff and because imagine sitting on the lakeshore and watching sediments gather right like <laughs> it's hard to to actually like record this stuff and when you find reversals which we do find reversals all the time in the rock record you know that's great but thinking about sedimentation rates like how much time are you actually like what's the fidelity of that record and tree ring that's pretty high fidelity so that in itself is super cool so yeah that's where i would have focused the paper on uh, personally yes. like, here's uh, a really too. cool new way to estimate magnetic field strength mm. Mm, absolutely because yeah there's only like two people that do magnetic field strength and ancient rocks and yeah and this is that part is really cool i think it's a neat thing if we could find more you know ancient trees left over from bogs <laughs> maybe we could have a better record of magnetic field strengths during these flip-flops over the last you know hundred thousand years right yeah so interesting article maybe a bit over um overreaching in its implications right yeah uh well before we close out i do want to answer a piece of listener feedback Ooh, great which was many shows ago now i had said something about using an analog wristwatch to determine the direction of north mm-hmm. and somebody wrote in and said hey i tried this and didn't work <laughs> can you be a little more specific <laughs> uh Yes, I can. And I didn't go back and listen to the exact directions that I gave. I think I was close, but not right. Okay. All right. So if you're in the Northern Hemisphere, you point the hour hand of the watch at the sun. And halfway between noon and the hour hand is south, since the sun is south of us in the Northern Hemisphere. Okay. In the sky. Okay. So, for example, if it were, you pointed the watch at the sun, and that was, or you pointed the hour hand at the sun, it's three o'clock, then at about the one thirty position would be south. Seems legit from so my mind. So, pulled out my backpacker's field <laughs> manual, and... <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, l- looked it up. So, that should work for you. Uh, but it... Well, I was going to say it doesn't work with an Apple Watch, but it does because they have a manual watch. Right, exactly. Like, I have a Garmin watch, but it's actually a, it's actually a, it's a digital watch, but it is an analog, like a mechanically analog watch controlled by my phone. Mm -hmm. Uh, Well, I know what I'm doing every hour tomorrow. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. Awesome. All right. Well, Shannon, if folks want to send in more feedback and ask for clarification on things, uh, have show suggestions, guest suggestions, uh, fun papers, or if they've done their very own tree ring carbon (laughs) isotope study, how can they send in those results? Please send that to us. Show at don'tpanicgeocast.com. We're on Twitter at don'tpanicgeo. I'm at Shannon Doolin. John is at geo underscore lehman um we're sometimes we're hanging out in the slack chat room we're in the don't panic channel of the software underground and as always thank you to our patreon supporters and if you'd like to support us on patreon you may do so patreon.com slash don't panic geo and even though the folks at the server farm don't use an anti-static wrist strap when they change the hard drives in our server <laughs> until next week remember don't panic <laughs> it's not an exact science
Any opinions, findings, conclusions, or recommendations expressed are solely ours and do not necessarily reflect the views of our employers or funding agencies. I hate that your dad jokes make me laugh.